Welcome to the Three Kings Podcast, the one place where real men have real conversations, but from a kingdom point of view. With your host, Rob B. Free Badgett, Will Big Steel Wells, and Rob Resurrect Connolly. Sit back, tune in, and let the king speak. Welcome to Three Kings Podcast, the one place where real men have real conversations. But from a kingdom point of view, I am your host, Rob B. Free Badgett, alongside... Yeah, what it do? This is your man, Resurrect Connolly in the building. Yeah, what up? This is Big Steel. Big Steel. Can you put your Can you put your mouth closer to the microphone? <laughs> <laughs> We just want to hear you, Will. This is Big Steel in the house. <laughs> in the house. You know, you know what I just realized? What you realized? We were saying he sounds like Shaq. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the movie Steel? The movie That's where that came from. Oh. It was terrible. Yes. Steel. Terrible movie. What was this tagline? Steel. I don't care. It was God. Oh, it was terrible. Like garbage. That was worse than Kazam. Yes. Oh, my. Kazam. Uh, terrible, I liked man. Kazam. Kazam was terrible. I, when he was a rapper, it was I just saw Kazam last year. Did it you? was garbage. Yes, was it it's a, on Hulu. And was I was it like, movie hmm. day at your job? <laughs> I watch a lot of movies. That's, Where that's part of the academic at enrichment. Home. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's watch movies of the classic no. uh, yeah, right. basketball player, guys. <laughs> I watch some, it at home. Watching movies is a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Take some notes on some bad acting. Do Jack you guys have an enrichment period at your school? Oh, yes. Really? You do? We do. We oh, have a lot shoot. of things at the school, buddy. I oh, know you do. We're not through. saying you don't. Sorry. Mm. Come through. Well, we won't list your school because we don't want to get boycotted on air. No. Okay. Awesome. Um, but your big school shout is out awesome. To you being mm. an administrator and your school. Absolutely. All that good stuff. But I just finished binging. Mm-hmm. All six <clears throat> episode of Surviving R. Kelly. Yes, oh my gosh, we're gonna get into and it. OMG, there <sighs> is so much to jump into. Did you guys see it? Yes, yes. yes what was your it. What was your By the time you got to like episode three, what were mm. your thoughts and feelings? I was mm. uh, very disgusted and uh, ashamed, embarrassed. And it's just, I think it's uh, so distasteful for so many people to have supported him and still go to his concerts knowing what they know about this guy and what kind of person he is and still support him. I just think it's disgusting. Yeah, that's how I felt, Mm. especially with the first three episodes. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot to say, but one thing I was shocked about is that I don't like R. Kelly's music. Mm-hmm. I love R. Kelly's music. Mm. And by the time I got to the third episode, I was happy to know that I had peace in my heart mm-hmm. that I can give up every one of his albums. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't plan to ever listen to another R. Kelly song. You know, it's interesting, though. Never. Like, he was our era, like, mm-hmm. from beginning yes, to end. True. Like, true. I remember mm-hmm. when Absolutely. 12 Play came out. Yes. <laughs> I remember. Oh, and they got played more than 12 times, i say that. Absolutely. When 12 Play, when you found out what that meant, I yeah. was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I remember I was over this girl's house, of oh. course. Oh. Okay. It was her and her mom. 
Uh, and what? All right. Yeah, it was her. Well, I don't know how to explain the story. Yeah. <laughs> it was her and her mom. Oh, all okay. right. And we were playing twelve play. Oh, okay. a little sippity sippity was going on with her and her mom. Huh? Her and her mother were playing twelve play. Well, what do you mean? No, you, you were at. I was at their house with the girl and the mother. <laughs> with the girl and her playing mother. Playing 12 play. Playing 12 play. <laughs> and. What? Listen. Wow. This was. Listen, I had a busy lifestyle. Okay. And. Jeez. You sound the, like R. Kelly. No, he does. <laughs> no. You sicko. So when you say teenage, what do you mean by teenage? <laughs> what do you mean by that? What age are you talking? <laughs> like, what do you think? Genius? I, I was a teenager. Mm, okay, wow. 12 play. That was like 91, 93 maybe. Okay. Yeah, 94, like maybe 94, something like that. Like and I remember, because all of his stuff back in the 90s, we mm-hmm. played it, mm-hmm. and we, you know, that was a soundtrack of so many eras yep. in our life. And there's so much that I want to uh, get into, because there's mm-hmm. so many different dimensions of it. Um, you know, I want to talk about, you know, us as fathers and our responsibility to our daughters. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the church's somewhat role where he kind of got a lot of passes from the culture of the church. Absolutely. You know, I remember he came out with a gospel, quote unquote, album. It was called You Save Me. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I want to talk about. He sang a song with uh, Kurt Franklin when they did that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lean, on right. Right. Lean on Me. That was the name That's of the song. Right. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, Franklin. that was like oh, that was like 98. 98. Yeah, late 90s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, you interest. Oh, what's my cra- goodness. So, well, well, yeah, I want to talk about all of that because mm-hmm. um, it's so much. It's so much. But I want to get into um, this whole reality of celebrity and how it has infected our culture Mm -hmm. you know just the power that it has over people's minds you know what i mean because this dude if you watch he's like he in his mind he's ascended to this mini god status Mm -hmm. and to some degree he's not wrong and the power that you have and, you know, what what the devil will do with you and use through you. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So he the gods given, of this he era. given that power. You know what I mean? Given that power. So I want to start there and uh-huh. what you saw, you know, as ministers observing the reality of uh-huh. this whole dynamics. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I, I tell you, there was, there was two key factors for me. One was <clears throat> um, the effects of what he... Um, what he um, struggled with because he was molested, mm-hmm. right? And how that played through society. And, you know, and because of the power of music, how it allowed, it never put him in a place where he had to own up to what he was dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, like, you're not responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible for how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. And one thing I saw clear as day is Satan. Mm. I saw Satan. God gives gifts without reproach. Satan was gifted in music, yep. and he uses his gift very well. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. If you notice, right, mm-hmm. music is separate from any other form of entertainment. Right. Sure. You can take a, an actor and have him play a gangster on TV. When he's done with that show or that movie, nobody's saying, oh, I really believe that guy's a, a gangster. Mm-hmm. But you could take somebody... And put them on a song and play a gangster and rap, 
You think it's for real? These people think like, yo, they really live that life. Right. Right? That's how powerful music is. It's separate from any other. And because of how powerful music is, this man told you in his songs mm. what he was about. Yes. Yes, he did. And how did a whole jury go and just like, mm. yeah, he's not guilty? What? Mm. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what messed up the, the case in Chicago was the, the girl who was supposedly or allegedly on the tape didn't come forward. Yeah. So that messed up everything the prosecution was trying to do. I mean, if she came forward and said what she needed to say to put him behind bars, he'd be in jail. Mm. You know what I mean? Getting getting back to the reality and the power of <clears throat> music, um, one of the things that I think that people don't realize is, like, throughout Scripture, you see the power of praise and worship. Yeah. Right. Like, when a Scripture talks about how David... Um, was a psalmist and um, how he played and it and it soothed. I think it was Saul's spirit, Saul, Saul mm-hmm. and it you know soothed his spirit. And mm-hmm. you see that throughout the text, like even in uh, ancient biblical days where people were brought in as musicians, as entertainers, mm-hmm. right. and these people were held in high esteem because of mm-hmm. what they did. Or mm-hmm. even when times when they would go into battle they had you know the the psalms and harps and they were a part of what was happening walls of jericho right right right. so i don't i don't think we fully understand just the power that it has Mm -hmm. you know what i mean which it's it's interesting that the one angel that got kicked out first was the one that was connected to that Mm -hmm. and i wonder um you know why like how do I want to word this? Like, God, what do you feel like God is saying specifically through this power that I've now given my children? Was it, I'm giving this to you because I know the power that you can give back to me or in praise and worship? Like, why do you feel that he give us such this level of effectiveness through this art form? Well, music is influential. So, you know, God... God gives us the, the gifts and abilities to play and orchestrate music because it can influence. Mm. Now, if we use it correctly as Christians and as kingdom-minded individuals, we can use the music to build up the kingdom and draw people nearer to Christ. But if we pervert that gift, then we can use it to influence young kids. Uh, we can use it to influence the culture negatively, to, uh, to, to go and abide by our own set of rules mm. if we're not um, using it, that gift correctly. Mm. So, I mean, we are created mm-hmm. to to worship God. Yeah. Right? Everything we do is created to worship God. So we don't, I don't want to highlight music like it's different from any other form of worship. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that Satan was created to do music. Right. So we see now that you know he is the he is the god of this world right. and because he's the god of this world satan's going to use his gift mm-hmm. more if you look at everything i would say the two biggest like things that really destroyed this world would be wars and music mm. in my eyes those are like the two biggest ones right there everything else could fall cuz if you look at it nobody's fighting without being amped up by you know even even fighters have some kind of fight song mm-hmm. or whatever Especially here in America, we worship music heavily. Yeah. So when it comes to the world, Satan has does a better job at using music 
to gain their attention than the church does. Hence we R. don't R. do a good enough job. Hence R. Kelly, you know, and yeah. right. R. Kelly's music right. is so the effective. The Pied Piper. The Pied right. Piper. You know? Right. You know, right. that, that story right. is a metaphor of what music can truly do right. if you pervert that gift. Right. right. I think also um, perversion. I think mm-hmm. about um, music, like it, it shifts and moves culture. Yeah. Like music, the what the tone of music it it influences mm-hmm. the way we dress, mm-hmm. it influences the way we talk, the way we communicate, our lingo, especially in urban communities. Absolutely. Um, you know, like a lot of our music was birthed out of struggle, was mm-hmm. birthed out of opposition. Right. Going into the early days of us, like going deeper into the early days of us settling here in this country, you know, there were things that we were singing to go through the pain right. of actually right. being here. Now, granted, right. it was in our native tongue, right. but it came from, you know, the okay. motherland and it was in our soul. Mm-hmm. And so you look at that fact where music is definitely connected to the soul of a human being, right. you know, he, us as human. We have mm-hmm. a rhythm of our soul. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you said, the enemy, he knows that. Yep. And he uses that to pervert it. I think about, you know, days in my life like. When I was heavily out there, there was a tone. Like, I remember we used to go to parties. Yeah. And you put on music songs before we got there to get ready. You Mm -hmm. know, I remember like our high school year uh, when DMX came on. Yeah, absolutely. It changed the entire (laughs) environment of Rough Riders Anthem. Right, right. (laughs) I mean, or the Stop Being Greedy. Even long enough. Now, we just, and it got into you. And then, you know, all of that. Or I remember stories about, well, not stories, but I knew dudes who were heavily in gang involved. Right. When they were going to go do a drive by. Exactly. They were exactly. listening to a certain song yeah. to get their mindset into the mood. And right. there's studies that show that that happens. There's not too many drive bys without music right. before it happens. Right. And it, liquor. It has to get into your mind, get into your spirits to provoke this mm-hmm. enticement right. or this negative action right. that you're going to do. And one of the things that I saw when I watched it, I was like, R. Kelly knows this. Mm-hmm. He, Absolutely. He, because if you look at his background, he was this quiet kid, mm-hmm. sheltered in this culture of, you know, insanity called Chicago. You know, and he had this gift and he saw he's like, people like this. If I get better at this, then maybe they'll like me. Mm-hmm. But he meant past the like me. Maybe now I'll use this to get mm-hmm. what I want. Mm-hmm. And he used it well. He was masterful. Absolutely. Right. I mean, just just even on what type of genre of music he was going to do in order to get the crowd back on his side. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to start off with this sexual... Because when you think about it, before R. Kelly, I mean, there were some, you know, songs that they had sexual windows. Like, I'm going to, you know, give you some code words for some sex sure, in the song. Ryan. But it was right. mostly... Mm-hmm. No, I'm talking about other artists before oh, R. Kelly. Before you know? Sure. Um, you know, but, um, but mostly it was love songs. Right. R. Kelly was slapping you in the face with it. No, sex me. Yeah. You know? Right. So like, even move. Bump and Grind was still mm-hmm. more raunchy than you expected before. And then he's like, so I'm going to get that crowd. Yeah. Oh, well, now they're getting on me about all these cases. Let me switch up the, the pace a little bit. Let's start going all this gospel stuff. Mm. All right. And you know, that's exactly what he did. 
Yes, that's exactly he did. what he did. It was masterful. <laughs> and then I and then I watched the last one I watched, the one right before I think it was um episode five, was talking about his um his Sam Cooke tribute album. Yeah, oh, I and I was one. like, why did he ever do that album? It's like this album, it didn't do well, but I was like, why did he do this album? But they explained it. They said he did that album because everybody was talking about him with little kids. He needed to get the older crowd. Mm. So he started doing the Sam Cooke song and he was messing with a girl who was about uh, she was 33. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, now he's going for somebody at 33? But he was just trying to put that public image in front and still right. doing the mess in the back. Right. I said, wow. Absolutely. Wow, one of the things Satan that got stuck this guy out, good. Um, in one of the episodes was um, this, this reality of abuse. And one of the things that I mm-hmm. have heard a lot recently, because there have been a lot of different things that have happened, why did they wait so long to yeah. speak up and speak out now we all have had different experiences with trauma mm-hmm. uh, molestation sexual abuse and we've we've worked in the fields and industries what do you think that people really don't understand about the culture of abuse and being taken advantage of that they are just not getting like listen this is real mm-hmm. right there's a there's a sense of embarrassment uh, a real deep, dark-rooted feeling of feeling embarrassed, being afraid, feeling uh, judged because of what may have happened to you, and you, a, a lot of fear. So you're you're scared to be honest and to tell the truth, and to such a point where you're holding it inside for so long because you don't want to go through it again or talk about it or have those feelings of somebody, uh, you know, trying to judge you or tear you down because they may not believe you. But eventually, mm-hmm. you're going to have to speak up and say something. And I'm one of those guys, regardless of how long it's been, if you're coming forward and telling the truth about what somebody did to you, to me, that's the first part of breakthrough when it comes to traumatic yeah, experience. Right. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? People don't understand. Being a, a, a former victim myself is when you have that... That, that lost sense of power, mm. right? For so long you've been walking with, you know, with that lost sense of power and it, it doesn't happen until you get the courage to really speak up about it. And I didn't get that courage until I was 21 years old. Mm. And I was molested at six mm. a couple of times, you know what I mean? So I held that in from six to 21, mm. you know what I mean? But not everybody has a supporting cast like I did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some people may not feel if I say something to my mother or father or whomever, then they're not going to believe me. I didn't feel that way. I knew my family would back me up and have my back. So that's why I felt like I needed to say something. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I was recently talking with somebody who was talking about, um, you know, their traumatic childhood experience. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that they had ever spoken it out. Now, they're in their mid 30s. And they were sharing, it's like, no, so-and-so had done this to me. And as they were saying it, you know, in their mid-30s, they were reliving the moment Mm -hmm. because this is the first time that they got to express this and open up about it. So even when they were, all the stuff with Bill Cosby and... Stuff like that. It didn't. It didn't. I was not taken aback at all when they talk about you know this happened back in the sixties and seventies. Right, right. I'm like, that doesn't matter, right? Because yeah. for any man or woman Absolutely. who's been violated, Absolutely. for you, it's like it goes into a storage bin, right. and 
Your yes. mind tries to figure out a Absolutely. way how to move on. And that's what people don't understand because they never have dealt with that type of trauma. Mm -hmm. So they don't get that point. And it's sad to mm -hmm. see people throwing rocks and judging people when they really truly don't understand the psyche of somebody who's been victimized. We, we heard this with the, the Catholic Church. Yep. We heard this with Bill Cosby. Absolutely. We heard this with um, Harvey Weinstein. You know, so, but, you know, when you have confidence, when you truly have confidence, you are so quick mm -hmm. to move and defend yourself and deal with whatever, whatever issue you have. People who have confidence and can do that have a hard time trying to understand somebody who does not have confidence mm -hmm. and that person's taking forever mm -hmm. to speak up. Now, you got to remind yourself, like, a lot of these people, they were molested at an age where their mentality is not fully developed. Absolutely. Right. So when they are being molested, they can't even register it at first as something wrong because this is so foreign to them. Right. Now, their body is going to try to catch up. Their mind is going to try to catch up to what's chemically happening to their bodies, mm. and it causes a confusion. Right. By the time they even get what happened to them, they have all these habits that already developed, and they're in their mid-twenties. And now, like Will said, shame sets in. Right. So now you have all this happened all these years ago. Mm. I just finally figured out what happened. Now, I, now I'm getting depressed. Mm. Now I feel this shame. Right. And now it's going to take maybe, for some people, another 10 more years to mm -hmm. even put the words together to say, this will happen to me. And people who were, you know, who naturally have confidence are just like, oh, why took you so long? Right. Dude, you do what happened to me all those years? Right. I think, I think the point that people miss <clears throat> is that you were taken advantage of mm -hmm. because you, in that moment, were not protected. You, you were not right. safe, so somebody violated you, Absolutely. right? right? So in your mind, you never now assume that now it's safe to talk about this right. because I, I was not safe. And for, for some really extreme cases, it, it happens with people who you trusted. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And in mm -hmm. and, and, and R. Kelly thing, like, they had developed this false sense of trust with this dude. Mm -hmm. Because the thing about a narcissist is they're very charismatic. They're cunning. They're desirable. They use all the things that will make right. you think that I'm okay. I'm safe. You know, you're safe with me. I'm okay, right? Because... They have an attractive personality until you get close enough to see that. Listen, this dude is a animal, mm -hmm. and but by then, vulnerability has already taken place. Yeah. I let myself be vulnerable. Right. I let myself be open, mm -hmm. and then he swooped in. Mm -hmm. Now he embarrassed and shamed me. Right. And and if you notice something in a, in a documentary, none of them actually, other than the tape thing, yeah. none of them said details of what he actually did. Every woman just said he did uh, despicable <clears throat> things or things that just were totally, they don't even want to speak on it, right? Mm -hmm. Because your mind doesn't even want to imagine right. a situation mm -hmm. that you were in and you're like, yo, this dude did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I originally, I never saw it. I still haven't seen the tape from the original yeah, I've never situation. Seen the tape. It came out when we was in high school. I've seen the tape. Did you? I saw the tape when I was younger, yes. Mm. I did. Mm. What did you yes. think when you saw it? Could you tell it was a young, young girl? Yeah, I felt really, I felt really uncomfortable watching it. <clears throat> so I, 
I had to turn it off because the girl in the video looked way too young, mm. you know, and I was older. I'm like, this is this is disgusting. Man. Mm. I couldn't even finish it because it was just it was gross. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I've never seen That's it, and I think that was the thing. There was a lot of us who did not see the tape, so we really. We just kept catching pieces of yeah. uh, of what they were saying, so it all just sounded like rumors. Right. And I and I, I I totally forgot that he had went to uh, went to court for that. Yeah, you did. know, I remember when the Jay Z song came out when it was uh, Jigga Kelly not guilty. Like I forgot yeah. that mm-hmm. he was talking about mm-hmm. the case. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, like they said, look, we just kept going, growing in and. Moving to the sound and the rhythm of this dude, because right. it obviously was no massive internet of you know explosion back then, so things were not publicized like that. So they're when, like, well, why'd you take so long? Culture has moved us in the direction to say, listen, mm-hmm. here's what really all happened. Well, the the other thing that made it take so long was that money is the root to all evil. So everybody was against the love of money. The love. I'm sorry. The love quote, of quote money. Quote the scripture the right way. I'm so sorry. The Please forgive me. Money, I'm not a false prophet. Because I need some money. The love of money is the root to all evil. So all those who were in um, R. Kelly's camp, they didn't want the money to get messed up. Even the label. They didn't want the money to get messed up. So they were just going to ignore these girls. And besides, and also, this was a time period where women were not respected. You're right. a background dancer. Right. You're true. a background singer. Mm-hmm. You should just be happy that you're here. Right. Right. Wear that skirt and remove the skirt when I tell you to. Right. Period. Right. So, you know, if now if it was like, you know, a man getting beaten up every time he tries to put out a CD, it'd probably been a lot different. But the fact that it was women and it was black women mm. mostly, it didn't matter. It did not matter. Now we mm. talked a little bit about well this just the role of the culture of the mm. church. Why do you feel like, or do you think that the church? Often we get caught up in the celebrity hype of stuff. So we kind of, you know, we give people passes as well because we started to hear the same messages that were happening within this world. But then he starts dropping music that's like, yo, I'm a child of God and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, come on in. You're right. Paula White and her husband praying Right, right. I 100% blame the church. Then why do you say that? I do. Mm -hmm. Because, you know what? People could say, well, you know, you can't blame the church. But the church backed him as soon as he dropped a spiritual album. Absolutely. So if the church is going to come in on one side, you better speak up and come in on the other side, too. Absolutely. You know, Mm because they was there like, oh, we're going to claim him because he's doing gospel now. Right. So when he was doing all the other stuff, we're just going to ignore that? Right. No. The, the church can praise somebody when they're trying to do something for God. But the church, the church has to do their job. And this, and this is more of a, just an R. Kelly thing. This is a, an issue that the church has had with anybody who was famous. Absolutely. People need to remember that when it comes to judging, the only group, because if we're talking about judging, we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about getting to heaven, all that stuff. The only group that is allowed to judge mm. is the church mm. because we are the ones who were given the authority what do you mean by judge? God. We're not talking about judging so to salvation. Though. We're not. We're not talking about where you if, if you are ultimately going to end up in heaven or not. We don't know that. But mm-hmm. as far as somebody's character, you don't even know what sin and sin is 
unless you read it from the Bible. And you're probably not being in the Bible unless you run into somebody who's going to bring the gospel to you. Right. That is the church's responsibility. So we need to let people know, like, listen, what you're doing is not godly. Now, we're not trying to beat them over the head, but mm -hmm. we can't just ignore these things. Right. Right, right, because right, right, we right. just gonna go in and praise him like you did this one guy. Okay, so let's say let's pretend you didn't even know who R. Kelly was mm -hmm. until he came out with "I Believe I Can Fly." Mm -hmm. Fine. There's a whole lot of stuff that happened afterwards. They sung that in churches. I forgot. They did. They did. Yes. I remember it. Did. You know, I being sung until I saw it. So everything that happened afterward, we just gonna forget, yeah. and we're saying like, oh, you know, you can't judge me like it's Tupac. No. But how do we how do we create a clear path or the distinction between? Because here's what I saw. I wanted to chop somebody in the throat a thunder thunder punch they said well they were given the the illustration between a pastor who we won't mention who's currently in the news and r kelly yeah and then underneath there they was like well all sins are the same right like how do we make a distinction because i think people get caught on this as though listen here's a person who has issues that we need to hold actually accountable, fully accountable, versus understanding where grace steps in and covers all of our things. Like, what is the midway in in dealing with that? Because the people will feel like, yo, well, you know what? We all fall short, uh, and we just need to bring them right back in and give them a pat on the back. Like, there's this, this clearly a big, broad gate in between the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's crowd control, really. Mm -hmm. And I, and I tell people, like, it's crowd control in the sense that if you have a sin, let's say, let's say you're, um, I don't know, if, there, if there's some kind of sin that, like, you and your pastor can handle behind closed doors, no need for me to bring it to the rest of the congregation. No need for me to put it on blast or anything like that. But when you are doing something that is blatantly out in public, where it can now entice other people to sin just as quick and as hard as you are, I need to deal with that publicly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if it's like, hey, if it's just something we can handle within the church, let's do that. We don't want to, you know, spread Is anybody's there business. a place in the church for the pedophile? What Does do you it, mean? What do you what, mean? Is there a place in the congregation for a pedophile. There's a place in church for absolutely everybody. Every Everyone under the sun. It everybody. I wish R. Kelly would go to church every single Sunday. And mm -hmm. actually be seriously delivered yeah. from uh, this perversion that he's been struggling with and dealing with. Absolutely. Pretty much mastered since he was a child. Because mm. what people don't understand is molesters... Form, most molesters are former victims. Mm. So now you have right. a kid that's taken on this learned behavior as a young child, and as they grow up mm. and never get any help with that brokenness or that uh, those traumatic experiences, then these skills, how perverse they are, grow and manifest into this person to a point where now they're using those disgusting set of skills on other people to mm. get what they want because to mm -hmm. them... Mm -hmm. This is normal. To them, it's natural. Right. Right. You know what I mean? This is what feels good because it felt good to me as a child because this is what I learned exactly. was a good thing. So now exactly. with somebody like that, that's how they're thinking. This is what feels good, so now this mm -hmm. is what I can do because to me, it's natural. How Was, do you, wasn't R. Kelly in the choir when he was younger? Yes. yes. So the church failed him too. Right. Mm. The church failed him. You have the difference between like Donnie McClurkin mm -hmm. right. and R. Kelly. Absolutely. Now what do you mean? 
They were both molested. True. Yeah. One got help. One didn't. Right. How are you going to use this man's Did gift? Did Donnie get help, though? Like, Donnie got, he got help. I mean, he didn't become. He yeah. got help later on in life, right, right. but he got help. But he still got the help. Right. And it was from the church. Right. It was spiritual mentors who helped them. Right. But you're using R. Kelly's gift in the choir, but you're not. He was young. Nobody saw that. Nobody discerned that. Nobody was talking to the people in the choir and dealing with him. And his brothers, too. So you're going to tell me. You see this guy, he said it. He was, his brothers was walking around the house and he would just bust out crying. Mm. Which gets into my next uh, point. Like, what what do you feel like this the stigma is with men, particularly dealing with mental health issues? And why is it so hard for us to confront the reality of mental health issues? Um, issue, it's an mm-hmm. issue. It's not a yes. feeling an issue like why do you feel like it's hard for men to deal with mental health issues i think uh most men um we grow up especially black men we grow up feeling like we don't need the extra help you know what i mean um growing up in church especially old school church you weren't told to go to therapy you were told to speak to the deacon or the pastor or pray about it or give it to god or leave it at the altar you didn't get any real help so it's been this thing where i don't feel like i need the help because all i gotta do is pray about it but Mm. inside it's truly tearing you apart because you're not getting the help but everything that's been learned as a child as a black man in in your family in the church especially in the black church because the black church has a problem with uh domestic violence sexual abuse molestation and hiding that and covering that up that nobody's really touched on and I, i think that if that doesn't change, the way we think doesn't change, you're going to start seeing more and more victims coming forward. You're going to start seeing, I, I truly believe more pedophiles, mm. rapists, abusers will be more exposed Absolutely. in the church. Absolutely. More this More pedophiles. Absolutely. Will be, Will be more exposed when this, if this continues. Right. Absolutely. Right. The scripture says they will be lovers of themselves. Right. In the end times. And this is the end times. And you're going to see more than just pedophilia. You're going to see a whole lot of things. Absolutely. It's going to get worse. And we but, talked we talked mm-hmm. last time well, mm-hmm. amongst ourselves about how people are now looking to make pedophilia a sexual orientation. Really? Yes. Yeah, they want to try to. They want to make it a sexual orientation. How is it an orientation? Though? Because. They're going to say it's a preference. I like preference. younger I like people. young kids. You like so, white girls? You like Chinese? Wow. You know what I mean? Like black girls? You prefer. I like kids. Yeah. That's a problem. So they're, they're people. It's there going are people to happen. Are fighting to make pedophilia a sexual orientation. Yes. Cause you gotta think in other countries, there mm-hmm. are men who are already marrying right. younger. Absolutely. It's yes. just an, it's just a Western thing that right. we have a problem with over it's here. It's not accepted here. You it's know, going it's to be accepted at some point though, in time. Yeah. My grandmother mm-hmm. was married at 14. Wow. If you look in further into black culture, particularly in the South, a lot of girls were married or found husbands by the time they were 16 That's years true. old. That's true. You got to take into account, you know, the era, you know. This we But we here, here but before mm-hmm. we get into the era, the mindset still was the same. The younger they were, the less tainted 
or tarnished that they might have been. Right. So men, but and, and it was always an older man. Right. Like look, remember the color purple. But we don't want to say every older no, no, man. No, no, it wasn't no, every older man that has married a younger woman. Right. But the color purple is a prime example. The color purple, Silly was like. 12 years old yeah, she was a kid yeah, when it was dominance right but that was a part of the the black culture here in America right. so some of it in their mindset they don't think that it's pedophilia they think that it's preference mm -hmm. I want me a young girl, you know, she can have me some babies. I can, you know, mold right. her into who I want her to be. And mm. I'm going to abuse her because mm. there was a lot of physical abuse. Women were not equal to men in the black community early on at all. Like you mm. and then go spreading more even into other cultures of of people of, of black and color, but different nationalities. Right. You saw it was like women were not equal to men. And some of that stuff you see now, you mm -hmm. know, within other cultures um, who are not African-American, but Haitian-American, Cape Verdean-American, mm -hmm. Hispanic-American. Look, you see it in the culture of yeah. male dominance. And in a lot of Hispanic cultures, they, they were dealing with younger girls as well. Now, you named cultures of people of color. That's what I'm saying. All right. Now, society, I think there's a there's a portion of society that is a that um, has developed because of what the church did or did not do. Mm. There's a whole spiritual side to this Absolutely. that we're not even discussing. Right. You know, spiritually, God has has made the man to do a job and it's a leadership job. And society wants to argue that argue that all you want. But guess who does not argue that? This adversary of our soul. Mm -hmm. He does not, he knows what the man is called to do. Mm -hmm. So he's going to make sure, like, I can't beat you up and up. So I'm just going to make you fight yourself. I'm just going to make, I'm just going to entice you to live mm -hmm. in a world that is different from your purpose. Mm -hmm. And if I have you live in a world that's different from your purpose, then you would never reach your purpose. Mm -hmm. So let me just have you glorify this, glorify that, have you focus on the flesh. So much. And then let the flesh do what it does. Mm. And now you're trapped in that world and you're not living up to your purpose and you're right. messing up the right. society. He's the father of lies. I Absolutely. think mm -hmm. thinking about lies, thinking about therapy and, and mental health issues, I think for me, um, when I went and got clinical treatment mm -hmm. uh, support, because I'm not talking about, you know, I just sat down with the pastor and, right. you know, just talk because truth be told, we just need to say some pastors are not clinically trained to deal with clinical mental health issues. That's most right. pastors. Like, right. Some, some right. have, you know, some, some are clinicians that are also pastors. Some, yes. Um, yes. So I, I don't want to exclude that reality. Sure. Sure. But a good percentage, I don't think they consider the reality of, no, this is something that you might just need to encourage them spiritually to go get some clinical help. Mm -hmm. And it's okay that there's a divide between the two. You know, we can we, we can talk about, you know, what's demonic and all these other things. That's right. great. But there are some real blind spots yeah. in your mind, Absolutely. your physical mind, that you have to get unplugged to even know how to pray about some things. Absolutely. And I think for me, you know, I ended right. up in... Uh, counseling because at the time of my life that I had to go it's literally because praying for me at the time it was not breaking off the lockage and blockage that was in my mind right I literally felt like yo 
I'm going insane Mm -hmm. and I cannot get a clear thought out of my head. Like, doesn't matter how much you keep praying for me, telling me it's going to be okay, work it out, yada, 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 all the rhetoric. It just was like, yo, I feel like I'm dying inside my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think people understand that. Like, no, you felt trapped inside your body mm-hmm. and you're just yelling and nothing is coming out. Oh, we'll just pray for you. No, just the law, let the law work it out. And I'm not saying that any of what they were saying was untrue. Mm-hmm. However, there was some intense talk therapy and some methods that helped me to really get to the center of some things that had happened in my life and some things that were happening in my life in order for me to feel like I could actually experience a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, cause when, well, when 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 I was depressed, I didn't know I was depressed mm-hmm. until somebody explained to me, you're depressed. Mm-hmm. Everything that you just described, that's depression. Mm-hmm. I remember I was watching TV for like hours at a time. Like I was laid off at the time. You know, we had just had my daughter and some tragic events had happened in my life. And I was just like hours binging. Like this is before Netflix. And this was like... Mm-hmm. Six, seven hours straight, wouldn't move off the couch, slept down there. Why up? I didn't realize that was depression. Yeah. Until I yep. saw that this is mm-hmm. a part of depression. Yep. You know, and all these kind of things that which we don't talk about in the culture of the church. Right, right. We don't know how to handle people who like, yo, man, I just feel real low right now. Some people, there are some uh I believe that there are things that we do or things that will happen to us that will cause a chemical shift in our brain activity. Absolutely. That we don't understand. Like, nah, when a traumatic event happens, your brain starts to shift in, in the way that it's supposed to function. You can become trapped and compartmentalized in your brain right. and stop mm-hmm. growing from that place. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. look at, you know, the case in point of this dude who became this predator I can guarantee you he never left the age of whatever his trauma happened. Absolutely. It's so sad because he can't he he, he has a hard problem hard time reading. No, he can't right. read and writing like at all. Mm. I think he's, I think he read a little. He's he's illiterate. Yeah, that's he's what he So yeah. nothing was going right in his life. Right. You know, to the point where he left. But I'm going to tell you in my opinion, I think he needs two things that can get him out of this. Mm-hmm. I think he needs a therapist and a strong pastor mm. because like you said um i took pastoral counseling in seminary and even there it would tell you you know there's only certain things that we are built to counsel and there are things that are above even pastoral counseling you know the church should not be against science god has made science for a reason mm. so the science about counseling for somebody who's mastered that area, I'm pushing somebody off to a, a licensed therapist right. when it's well above what I can do. Absolutely. But he, so he needs that. But he also needs a strong pastor because R. Kelly is the type of person, when you've reached that quote-unquote God status mentality in society, yeah. you're, not going to, you're not going to submit yourself to anybody you don't respect. Right. So somebody who has to have um, a certain status in society and is respected as a pastor 
needs to spiritually mentor him and not let him just get away with any mess. Now, he needs those two things. He's a prime example of a, a young man dealing with a trauma who's never had a strong man in his life Absolutely. to help him or guide him or mm-hmm. do anything in his life. You know, he had his older brother, but if you watch the, the yeah. series, that his older brother was involved in a bunch of other stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And his so, younger brother. And his younger brother. So he didn't really have a man in his life to mm-hmm. tell him right for wrong or to help him out or that he can talk to or focus on. He had, mm-hmm. he had women. And uh, one mm-hmm. of the women took advantage of him, especially, and another man took advantage of him. But he didn't have an outlet. He didn't have anyone to speak to. And right. I think you're saying that he needs a strong pastor, but he needs a strong male pastor yeah. that Absolutely. will really dig Absolutely. in and say, listen, you need this, mm-hmm. you need this, but you also have to answer mm-hmm. for what you've done to people and right. hold him accountable. That's what he Why means. do you and think it's, it's so hard for men, though, mm-hmm. to get to a place where they recognize that they need help? It's just because of, it's just because of society. We haven't fostered that as a behavior in society. Mm. Society has listen, they they baby women and they only want men to do physical things. Mm. When it comes to anything that's not physical, they don't want to associate that with a man. I don't want to talk about a man's mental problems. I don't want to talk about a man's feelings. No. Did you break your leg? Can you not lift 100 pounds anymore? That's what I care about. Can you not dunk a ball? Can you not run 40 yards in in three seconds? That's what I care about when it comes to men. I don't want to talk about something that doesn't look Mm. like what society will call masculinity. Mm. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to associate that with a man. But that's the world. And that's the problem with us as the church. Like, why we and them define Mm -hmm. what, you know, manhood is. You know, the Mm -hmm. Bible shows men crying all the time. You know, the Bible shows men submitting themselves to like, I did wrong. Like, can I own up to this? So if we don't allow, if we don't show how God sees a man and we let the world put this picture of a man, the enemy is very crafty, just as crafty as R. Kelly. Why is it that there are so many single parents who are women? How many single parents do you know who are men? Not as many as women. When you say single parent, your man automatically goes to women. Yeah, Why? Yeah. The enemy is so crafty about taking the man out. And when you take the man out, there's nobody to be the mirror for the young boy in the house. Right. No I matter think, how good the wife does. I think also, though, like outside of you two, mm-hmm. it may be two or three others, if that. It's hard to come to a brother with, you know, like you would think that we would all understand that narrative. But it's hard to come right. to a brother like, yo, man, I really... I'm struggling or I don't got this all figured out. I don't have a plan because you have with women like even with women, sometimes it's like they'll say to you, I want you to open up and, you know, tell me your feelings and your thoughts. Oh, really? Well, babe, I think we about to be homeless next month. (laughs) What? What? Wait a minute. Whoa, you better get out there and figure out a plan because I can't be with no man when I don't feel safe with right so it becomes this reality it was like dude well i guess i'll just keep this all inside of me then because yeah. there's nobody mm-hmm. that i can go to with this mm-hmm. you know or feel like yo i just or oh, i cheated on my wife you did what well i know tasha she's a good woman and how are you gonna go ahead and do that it's hard to find uh uh vulnerability amongst the brethren 
You know, mm-hmm. like you dudes were the first dudes that I ever saw in my peer bracket, like shed a tear. Like I had <laughs> never saw that. I never saw that with no mm-hmm. brothers, no cousins. I didn't see that with no. Well, I saw my stepfather cry, but he was always crying. You saw your brother like, cry. No, he had. Nah, saw- I didn't see my brother really? cry. I never. Saw my brother cry no, until your stepfather had sawdust in his eyes. Right, it wasn't tears. Nah, but he was. Yeah, a, he was. But the thing is, he was an emotional dude, right? Uh, he had no problem crying. But I was like, but in my mind, I'm like, yo, you need to toughen that up. Like, why are you always crying? Yeah. I didn't. As a kid, I didn't like that. I didn't see my yeah. brother cry until we were like full grown men. Maybe, maybe three, five years ago, if that. He used to cry hmm. all the time in church. And Lincoln. I wasn't there as long as you were. Oh, that's though. right. You were. I wasn't there. You, you were to my have you ever seen Will? Have you ever seen your father cry? Yeah, I have. You did yeah, growing up. The Before first time, your mom. The first time I seen my father cry was when my grandfather died. Oh, okay. So only seen. funerals. Yeah, that's it, pretty much. And he did cry one time when he and I were having issues because he. There was one particular time where I had gotten in trouble and he tried to hug me. But I wouldn't hug him back, and he just started bawling in front of me. How old were you then? I was like 13, 14. Mm. My, yeah. uncle, my uncle June, one of the most stellar men that I know, I didn't see him cry till his wife passed. Mm. Like, ever. Mm. All my uncles never well, saw that. There was a real reason why I didn't see men cry in my family, because there weren't any men. Right. Mm. So... Mm. Yes. <laughs> you can't see a ghost Who's cry. Who's <laughs> Yeah, Who's, <laughs> <laughs> Who's the Casper, first man, you. though, that you saw like, yo, this dude is expressing vulnerability? Mm. See, um, see, see how? Maybe, maybe Reverend Johnson? Well, he was, is that what that was? What? I don't know if that was vulnerability. When he would just do his wailing thing oh, that he I, did. I, hmm. Yeah. Dude. Right. So society, <laughs> it's very... It's it's hard because we don't have brothers like yo. I I'm struggling with this. Like I really feel like yo. I might lose it tomorrow. Right. You know, like and I feel like that's something that we definitely. You're still thinking. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm trying to think. The first the first man I saw like nah why? nah yeah our, our, our the mentor the guy that mentored us. I never saw him do it either. I've never seen. No, and he had issues too. He had a lot of them. Serious issues. You know, but he never, but but you see, but I'm saying like he wouldn't open up in a space like, yo, I don't. And I think we might have respected it more like, yo, man, I'm his with the real dealism. But I think a part of us, we don't realize, some of us don't realize the level of issues that we have. Absolutely. Some of us don't realize that we can actually connect with somebody about Mm -hmm. these issues. And then some of us were constantly battling. You're still thinking. <laughs> Yo, that, that really messes me up because it, I think it speaks to why I was so mad that I, I was searching for so many years, mm-hmm. you know? And I was mad because when I started, when I just like gave it all to God and I was being emotional as I was letting it out, I was like, dang, is anybody here with me doing this? Yeah. And I just felt like I was on an island, Man. you know? And y'all said y'all was coming around later. So for a period of time, I just felt super lonely. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, dang, like, I don't, there was, there weren't too many examples out there. So I would just, I'm like, okay, well, nobody's going to be real, but I'm just get people who were going to feed me knowledge. And that's where like Uncle June came in and, and um, Reverend Donaldson came in. Mm. But really, man, I don't, 
Yeah, I think for me, the the yeah. the um That's crazy. The first time like I felt like like I like I hit my wall, like cried and it really like came out. I was thirty years old. And the crazy part was I remember because like my body, my tear ducts didn't actually even know how to produce liquid. <laughs> and so like they it was I was like I felt yeah, you never all, cried. Dude, I felt Ever. all this stuff coming up <laughs> mm-hmm. and nothing my I was like my body was going into shock because it didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? But it was like system overload, all that right. stuff that had happened in my life, and it's happened in church, and I was just like, ah, it was crazy. Wait, you mean the first time you cried as an adult? As, as an, an adult, adult as at your adult. wedding? No, no, because you were bawling like crazy. No, I wasn't it? bawling like crazy. Oh, <laughs> not what happened. <laughs> no, that was done. I, I first of all, I wasn't bawling. Uh, you cried at your wedding. Whatever. Yeah. Did he? Yes, I, I know. All did. I remember is the African. I saw it from the back. I saw it from the back of the church that you were crying at you. <laughs> yeah, I think I was sitting next to you. <laughs> no, but in that the was, exile section, right? I was in the outer courts. He watching didn't even talk to us at his wedding. <laughs> Stupid loser. He didn't even talk to us at church. Oh man. Whatever, man. Nah, but that speaks volumes to the reality of men recognizing, like, yo, you. You need this. Like, mm-hmm. emotional connectivity is also masculinity. Like, yeah, yeah. it's not like, oh, I can't express myself. Because we need help. Mm-hmm. Like, you, we need yeah. help. You don't have it all figured out. Right. And for me, counseling, like, that was, you know, I went through a divorce f- several years ago. And counseling, that was a necessity for me. Because I had to come into confrontation with Everything that I had built up in my mind on how I thought my life was going to go, it's mm-hmm. not going to go that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So trying to find a new constant, like, dude, like, from the time that you're a teenager, you envision, oh, I'm going to get married one day, have yeah. some kids, we're going to live happily ever after. And then you see that that's not going to happen. Yeah. But this has been the thought in your brain for as long as you can remember. And then... The trauma happens of realizing this is not going to happen for you. Divorce is a traumatic event like none can even comprehend. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to counseling, I was just like, yo, I don't know how to walk today. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even understand relationships. And I remember the therapist at the time, she had to really walk with me. I went every week. Like, I was there for, like, mm-hmm. an hour every week because I needed, because nothing that I knew made sense anymore. Right. You know, now I'm a dad who's not in the home every day. That killed me. I'm like, yo, I'm not waking up with my kids every day. Like, I'm. that's not going to happen. This woman, like, I remember one thing hit me was um, I had to uh, change my uh, beneficiary on my life insurance. And I was like, we're not going to die together or she's not going to die. I No, I'm not going to be at her funeral. You still I, will. <laughs> I don't see myself being at her funeral. But not saying because there's anything wrong, but sure, my mother's not going to my father's funeral. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> How do you even know that? That's yeah, just, like you yeah, still, just your kid's mother. Yeah, that. <laughs> That listen, that's not gonna happen. Okay, but she's gonna go with her husband. No, that's not gonna happen. But I'm saying I highly doubt that it may happen. But mm-hmm. you know, we don't we don't 
you know, we're cordial, obviously, but that's not the point. The point is, is that I came to that real realization. I was like, yo, my life has shifted and I don't know what to do now. And the, the mm-hmm. counseling helped me with the healing process, the spiritual process, because now I'm unlocking things that gave me new language that I didn't have before. You know, God, help me with this. Lord, show me this, you know, but communicating with somebody who can help you understand your patterns and your triggers, because we don't talk about triggers in the church. We don't. How how old were you when you got divorced? I was 33. 33. And you've been, you were saved for what, almost two decades? Yeah. Close to that before that. So that just goes to show how, even though you were in the church, we as men still need to talk about what it means to be masculine and what God has to say about, you know, us talking about our feelings. Because even though you were saved, just like William, you know, he's talked many times about the fact that he's he was molested when he was younger. Yeah. But just a couple of weeks ago, right. we for the first time, I heard the details. Right. Yeah. And, and he broke down crying. But that was my first time talking about the details. You know like, what I'm saying? Hey, was that your, was you're that your first time? Years old. But was that your first time feeling comfortable enough to talk about the details? That was the first, yes. Now, see, that's Absolutely. sad. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. sad. You've been saved for this long, right. and that's why even in the church, like, we have to make sure that we don't slip and allow society right. to dictate what it yeah. means to be man. Because it's like, why, after all those years being saved, you didn't feel comfortable sharing the details of your molestation? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because right. we're like, what, what, are we, what are we hiding? What are we embarrassed about yeah, we know yeah. who we are in christ but yet still yeah. that still comes up so we can't let that creep into the church and dictate because we still got men here who are not open up yeah, yeah yeah i think because we're being fed that every single day right and we get sunday and, once a week right so we have to be hardcore <laughs> on our walk with god right but it's also for me it took so long because it's just it was just embarrassing to talk about mm. you know what i mean and i've never had to talk about the details and so that part of what uh, I experienced, unfortunately, I just stayed quiet about for all these years. Mm-hmm. And with you two, I felt like with us doing what we're trying to do now was just, I felt like it was a time to just be honest. Mm-hmm. And I, when I first started talking about it, I wasn't even expecting it to cry and break down. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just going to come out. But just reliving that experience and thinking about all that happened, it just caused all these emotions to come right out. It was like this amalgam emotions of Mm. emotions that just caused me to just break down and talk about everything that actually happened and and come into full details with it. When was the first time you cried as an adult? As an adult? I cried all the time, man. I was always crying. <laughs> <laughs> I was Mr. Sensitive, man. Uh, so, so, tw- he was 20. You know what I'm saying? Come 19. on. Well, for, for me, it was, it was, um, it was 18, 18, I think it was 18, mm-hmm. right? Lincoln had those uh, prayer nights, those uh, testimony oh, service on Thursdays. Service. Well, whose stairs was, you, was yeah. you crying on? Was that your stairs, stairs or was it him crying on your stairs? Mm-hmm. One of y'all was crying on the stairs, on the stairs. at your house, your old house. Am I, really? Yeah, somebody was. I remember. Y'all well, was crying all I, the time. The biggest one to me. It was probably It was probably me. The biggest one for me was that night at that testimony service because I was there and I was the only teenager there. Mm-hmm. And everybody else was older. And you know how you, they do. Everybody gets up and say this, you know, uh, 
um, today, and this is my name, and this is what I've been. You know, uh, this is what I want prayer for. Giving honor to God. Yeah, giving honor to God who's in my life. Thank you, the Rev and Creighton. And then they would share what they want prayer for. And when I got up, I said, you know, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm here, you and all that? of my teenage friends are not here. Yeah. I don't know why I'm walking with God, and none of my friends are. I feel alone, sad. I don't know. Why. And I just broke down crying, hmm. and everybody in there just started praying. And MJ was praying over me. And when I got up from that floor, I was cried out, snot nose boogered out. When I got up from that floor, I knew exactly who I was in Christ. You was 19? I was about 18, wow, wow, wow. 19. And from there on, I've never stopped. I was like, so I was like, I'm going to tell. And I think really when people, quote unquote, look at me and I'm like, oh, success in my walk with God. It was because from day one, I was determined to be free and not let anything stop me. I was going to tell my truth, tell my story. Yeah, you want to hear about what I did when I was younger? I'm going to tell you. You ain't going to hear in the streets. I'm going to tell you what I did. I tell it over the pulpit. When somebody mm-hmm. comes to tell somebody, did you know Pastor Rob did this? He's like, yeah, he just preached about it three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. and I think that was like part of the success to my growth in God. I'm like, when I see people, I'm like, and they're holding it back. I said, why are you wasting your time? Hmm. When you think about it like school, like, you're not graduating in the 12th grade unless you finish freshman year. Right. So why are you still holding yourself back? Mm. Because you can't get to the next level until you pass this grade. I think so. Though, let it out. I think that we have the responsibility of like we lead the sheep. Like we have to lead uh, them into that place of building that up. Like mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. to do better with creating a space where that's available, which is why we started Absolutely. Um, the, the Restored Kings Men's Ministry, which is designed mm-hmm. to create a safe space for brothers to right. build, confront, and, um, you know, deal with this stuff. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because brothers, I'm, I'm sure Will's not the only brother that's present who's who's had to suffer or deal with those kind of experiences. Right, right. We all have those kind of stories and tragedies that men in particular um, need to know, like, listen, you, this is okay for you to come clean here. Um, we ain't going to shame you. We ain't going to just throw your stuff out there. And our goal is to help you to build our goal is so that if you do have a gift, even mm-hmm. like the dude that we started off talking about, that we help you rightly develop it. Because the, 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 the last point I want to touch on is the power of, well, the last second to last, because there is something I want to talk about. It's just as fathers, mm-hmm. two daughters, um, and our responsibility to that. But just this reality of those who are gifted. One thing that the church does well is we prostitute your gift. And <laughs> as long as it does what it's supposed to do, yeah. we turn a blind eye to the Absolutely. things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. One Absolutely. of the biggest areas Absolutely. is the area of homosexuality, mm-hmm. um, largely amongst men in the in the church, because they find their way and they're in the choir and they're leading and da 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 da. And we saw a lot of that coming up. It was like, yo. I don't know, brother so-and-so, he seemed like he might be, you know, well, we ain't, you know, we ain't going to deal with that. Just let him do his thing. You know, let him go ahead and praise. And, you know, and sometimes he was the same boy that was touched inappropriately by somebody in the same church. But Mm -hmm. what the church has done a lot is when your gift 
it soothes us or it brings bodies into the church. It puts dollars into the offering plate. Mm -hmm. We become passive in our approach to helping Mm -hmm. you. And I'm not going to say dealing with your sin to helping you to navigate Mm -hmm. and grow into the fullness of what you should be Mm -hmm. outside of your gift. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like we need to start doing as a body to help people specifically in that arena? We need to foster the um, the atmosphere of being able to address when it comes about because everybody can address everything at every time. Mm-hmm. So God is going to give you the discernment to address what's in front of you. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at the scriptures in the New Testament, Paul was addressing the issues. So when he went to Corinth, he addressed the issues in Corinth. When he went to Ephesus, he addressed those issues. So we have to address the issues. Maybe your church is called. If you have somebody who's struggling with something in your church, guess what? Your church is called to address that because they are a member of your church. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to if you're going to um to tend to your flock, you got to tend to the issues that your flock has. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know you got to pray about. Okay, God, listen. Whether if you can deal with it or somebody else has to deal with it, mm-hmm. you know. So I think we just need to foster that avenue in the church so we can start because. Regardless of how, you know, we have failed, this, the answer is still within the church. I think, though, I think the church, in my opinion, um, we need to do more than just sit people down. Like, if you find out somebody's struggling with a sin or to battle with something and they're in leadership, we just sit you down. Right. The challenge that I find with that is we sit you down and just kind of put you in a corner. Like that doesn't, nothing happens there. And sometimes what I realized, like I remember um, I had uh, some issues back in the day and the guy who was pastoring me at the time, he's like, you know, the danger is we start cutting off the the way that people know how to communicate with God. Now that doesn't mean you just are ready or responsible to be on a platform, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we push people out because of what they did. You know what I mean? And 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 it it builds a disconnect. Like you sit now I'm an artist, right? And I'm serving in the church and all of my gifts and I screw up. You sit me down from everything and my way of communicating, you put me in this little corner. It can very easily just lead to depression. Too much reflection and in internal will turn into depression. Too much time thinking about what I did wrong is going to put me to a place of internalizing this stuff. And I'm not growing at all. So my screw up now became compounded interest. And I now turn into isolation. And that's one thing that I've seen. Like, and I'm not saying like you you do have to assess it because some dudes love the platform and they just like they can't wait. I just need to preach and ah, and I done cheated on my wife three times. No. You are immature, you're irresponsible, and you have not healed and recovered. But we have to create a balance between really assessing the situation where it's mm-hmm. not like we're just putting you in detention. Figure out how to fix that, and then you can come back. Right. You it's, know what I mean? It's coming up with a, a real plan on how to help people that are struggling or have been struggling for a long time that are in ministry. You know, I think the church has created this culture where we put levels on sin you know what i mean right like okay what you're doing is not too bad so you can lead worship but you're a sex offender right or you look like a sex offender because of what what i see you doing so we'll let you sit back until we think that you're good enough to start singing again but on the other hand 
hey, you may be a sex offender, but you can sing real good and mm. fill up my pockets and lead people to worship. So you can come on. So we put all these levels on on sin instead of just focusing on what the real issues are. And right. it's that people that come here go through some serious trauma serious. and have some mm. deep-rooted issues that don't need to be ignored, that need to be spoken to, that need to be helped. And, mm. and pastors, leaders of the church need to understand that, that we need to create a culture where when people come in and they're looking for help, we're serious about helping them. We're not looking to pimp their, their gifts. We're not looking to fill up the place in the offering, but we're looking to change the world and to change the community by helping those that come into the church. I remember um, I used to work at a uh, do prison ministry. And I used to preach at the prison out in Rhode Island mm-hmm. and I ran a reentry house. And there was this guy who, you know, every time I came, he met me at the door, took my Bible, you know, here you go, brother, be free, blah, blah, blah. You know, you sit, got your seat ready like he was serving every time I got there. And then finally, one day I'm in the parole office checking on another client and he's sitting there. And um, I was like, oh, you got out? Older guy. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, you got out? He's like, yeah, man. You know, I'm on fire for the Lord. You know, I'm ready and hitting the world. I was like, yo, man, just just take it, you know, step by step. And any way you need me, you know, to support and help you and yada, yada, yada. I'm here, man. I'm here for you, brother. And he was like, you know, I just got to go get my bracelet on because, you know, I'm on parole and, you know, I got to go let them know. And I was like, oh, yeah. I said, well, you only have it on for a little while. He's like, nah, I'm going to have my bracelet on forever. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. But, you know, he's like, I understand, you know, the Lord has dealt with me about why I did what I did. I got to the root of my issues and, you know, I've been able to see it and, you know, things that happened to me as a child, I get it. And da, 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 da. And he's saying, having all this conversation in the lobby and he's telling me like he was a, it was a sex offender mm-hmm. on a child. I think it was a baby. And in that moment, I was like, oh, okay. And I knew he was telling me on purpose. To see how so, I was going to yeah, respond yeah, yeah. to right, him, right, right. because now he's he's I You're see the first him test of society, right? Mm-hmm. On the test of the body as well, absolutely. Because right. he sees me on the mm-hmm. other side of the wall, mm-hmm. and he's like, "This dude who I've known, who's preached in here several mm-hmm. times, I know this dude is a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to call into the radio station mm-hmm. all the time to hear this guy, and you know, mm-hmm. so I was like, you know, I you know, praise the Lord, man. Da 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 da. I was like, but then as he left, I was like, wow. There was a part of me that was like, well, you're still not going to babysit my daughter. You know what I mean? I mean, that's that's wisdom. But but the last part I want to jump into is... Can I just say this real quick? Real quick. Go ahead. I never really shared this, but I had had a cousin who was in a really abusive relationship. And I remember one time I was at work and my mother called me and telling me that she was crying on the phone because he kept beating her. So he happened to live in the area and I was trying to find him. But I could never find this guy whenever something happened. And it wasn't until my cousin and her boyfriend started coming to church Mm. that I had to really see him. And every time I would see him, I kept thinking about what happened to me. Because I never liked people, Mm. especially men, that took advantage of of people they perceived as weak. Mm. I've always hated that and I've always had a problem with that. Mm. But there was a situation where God really just started speaking to me, but and it kept telling me, minister to this man, because mm. he's broken, he's lost, he needs your help. And I would always run away from it. And it wasn't until they came to my house one time, mm. and I just broke open the Bible, and we just started talking, and I just started sharing with them how great God is, and, and answering their questions, ministering to 
him and my cousin and finally to a point where they started coming to the Lincoln. They were coming to the church. Wow. And they, and they actually nice. both gave their life to Christ. Right. And I I I just couldn't believe, I never thought that would ever happen mm. with somebody like that because yeah. of my perception of how that mm. person was, but it actually happened. And I just want to touch also on a quick um, um, success story as well, too. I was a part of a church leadership where we restored um, two leaders in the church one was addicted to drugs and one was addicted to um, addicted to alcohol. Mm-hmm. And we were able to restore both of them without the rest of, rest of the church knowing. And they were leaders in the church. Mm-hmm. So I think those were good um, success stories because we didn't judge them and say, okay, man, you are never in this church again. You know, mm-hmm. but that was a blessing to see the church come together and do that for those brothers. Right. I think Absolutely. there's a way that we have to be very mindful of where we're not... Um, inadvertently publicly shaming people right. in the name of what we're calling restoration. Absolutely. Like we do a great job, you know, minister uh, Johnson, you know, he and his wife, he fell short to the glory of the God. And you know, like in the whole congregation needs to know, yeah. no, no, they, they right. don't need to know. No. Like he's working through it, him and his mm-hmm. wife, whatever, whatever, whatever. But we put, put way too much on front street and we don't create an environment that is safe for um it has to be a balance right 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 balance. that's right. all it is the yeah. message we're saying it has to be a balance absolutely and use wisdom last point is the thing that i saw the most resonated with which i'm sure resonated with all of us is that these were little girls mm-hmm. um how did that make you feel as a father to girls well, I, I tell you, I had a situation, you know, I have three daughters, yep. you know, um, two, uh, one teenager, um, an 11 year old, and I have a five year old and I have the opportunity to work in a school part time with the older two girls. So I get to see that interaction with boys, mm. you know, and get to see the interaction and everything. And, you know, I, I, a lot of people tell me my daughters are beautiful looking girls. I believe they're beautiful as well. And I'm just on the on the mindset of I'm going to feed into my children. I can't stop the whole world from doing what they want to do. But if I feed into my children, I can help them make the best choices that I believe they can make as long as I feed them what I can feed them. And I have as a as a black man raising black women, I have to be a man of faith. I don't know how any black man can raise black girls or to be honest, any guy raised females in this society without having faith because you cannot put a GPS on them every single time. You can't have a camera on every block. So there are going to be times when they're not around you. You need God to be with you in those times. Mm. And I've had some times where some people have tried to violate my daughters. Mm. They've tried to. And I've had opportunities to call the cops, have some people arrested, and God had to step in. I stopped the young man from being arrested and being labeled a sex offender uh, for the rest of his life for some things that he was trying to do um, with my daughter. Not saying that my daughter was ever in danger of being molested, but I'm just saying some guy was trying to be disrespectful and I could have had his life destroyed, but instead I allowed God to step in and I had to show Christ, even if he didn't want it, I had to show Christ in that. So... You know, it just reminded me of what my job is, not just as a man, but as a godly man raising daughters, what my job is to do in this society. I think for me, uh, watching this, it just solidifies how important it is that fathers are 
really protective over their daughters. You know, the children in general, but especially when you have girls. I have two girls who I love uh, very dearly, and I'm very, very protective. Mm. I mean, very. And I do not play around when it comes to my children and somebody trying to do something to my children or wanting to do something to my children. And thank God that's never happened, but Rob makes a great point. If I wasn't a man of faith, I think my frustration when I'm not around them would have severely increased and caused me to do some crazy things. Mm. But because of my faith in God, because I know God will protect my children on a daily basis, even if something were to happen, I know that's not God. I know that is that person taking advantage of that free will that he's been given, and he's trying to take advantage of the situation. So I wouldn't blame God for that. But mm. I truly believe that any man who has daughters should be as protective as possible with their kids and make sure they're doing the right thing as fathers in the household. Yeah, I think for me, like it, it resonated. I have one one daughter. Um, you know, like the responsibility that I have as a dad and the influence that I have as mm -hmm. a father. The one mm -hmm. story that struck me the most was the last. Uh, I think they were husband and wife, and they were saying how. Um, you know, the daughter was 17 at the time and, you know, after all the allegations had went out and stuff that had already heard and they mm -hmm. still felt, oh, you know, I think she'll be OK with him. Yeah. You know, and, you know, yeah. the mother was doing all the talking. And then at one point he's like, you know, uh, when I do get to see him, it's not going to be, you know, just this uh, whatever, whatever. I'm like, dude, this is three years later you're saying this. Right. And. You still felt there was parts where the daughter, you could clearly see that she was just doing what she wanted to do because he was like, oh, you know, she said if I don't let her go and audition with him, then she would threaten to do such and such. Now, I was like, you clearly don't have a relationship with your daughter. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why mm -hmm. this reality could even happen. Absolutely. And right. then you're outside his studio throwing rocks at the window trying to get her to come out. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's, it's, you've, you've waited too long. Yeah. And so I, I, I realized just how much we matter to the lives of our daughter. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind that they saw this dude who was multiple years older than him as some sort of Father, father figure, figure. Right. and then he had them call him daddy right that was a requirement to call him daddy way. i'm like so he knew and so that just was the warped thought process like i'm i'm your daddy mm -hmm. so he knew uh the power and influence of that and for them of that they, word in general the word that mm -hmm. word has power people don't mm -hmm. realize that right reminds you that, that you're subject is. right absolutely and absolutely. so i was just like man the the re, the reminder for me because you know I was just listen this is certain things that the Lord would have to be present in that exact moment for me because <laughs> I don't have that level of self control Absolutely. I don't I've been in situations where I felt my daughter her safety was threatened and I I didn't handle it very well yeah. you know like thank God it didn't escalate to the point of what it could have but I remember I was about to turn up in a hospital and go to jail that day and I was like man I'm about to lose it today mm -hmm. and hope somebody got some bail money you know because you realize that they are girls they are innocent uh, defenseless creatures mm -hmm. and 
it breaks my heart every time I see a girl who's just out there. Yeah. Nobody's born a prostitute. Right. Nobody's right. born on a stripper pole. Absolutely. Nobody's born promiscuous. Right. You're not born into that. Right. Um, but your brain's you, not even developed yet, and they're getting them there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm just like, I realize just how much of a responsibility it is, but how much of a testimony it is when we do it God's way Amen. when it comes to raising our daughters, Absolutely. man. So last words on the subject, is he final thoughts on that as we wrap that up, Manny? Hey, man, uh, just to remind everybody again that, you know, we just encourage, you know, you know, brothers out there, Faith, you know, to create an atmosphere where we can feel comfortable to deal with issues and not to be so quick to judge, but don't sweep things under the rug either. Absolutely. You know? um, my last words are pretty simple. Just I encourage uh, fathers especially to create a culture of discipline, enlightenment, encouragement, and safety in your homes. Because if that's not being done as a father, your children will venture elsewhere to look for that from somebody else. So just be careful on what you're doing in the household. Absolutely. I think for me as an artist, to all artists out there, you have uh, great power that God has blessed you with. But with that power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so just recognize that, that you have something that will impact somebody's life. And it could be destruction or it could be construction Absolutely. that really sets the course of action. Like I've got songs that I've created that you see the response from them. We did songs at the concert where it was like them joints is almost 20 years old, but people were able to connect. A song will connect you to a place and time in your life that you will have a total nostalgic experience that takes you back to that space and place. Mm -hmm. And I pray that if you are creating that all those experiences for other people are positive ones. But that's all for today. We thank you guys for joining us for another edition of Three Kings Podcast, the one place where real men have real conversations, yeah. but with a positive kingdom point of view. Until next time, peace. Yeah. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Three Kings Podcast. Make sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Three Kings Podcast. Or visit us on the web at his3kings.com. Until next time, let a king be a king. Peace.